Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny Ann Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is my guest, Sequoia B. Holmes, the host and creator of the pop culture podcast, Black People of Paramore. Sequoia, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am so, so glad that you're here. I'm very excited to talk about your show, which is, a, you know, a doubly charming title. And I also enjoy the musical effects of Paramore. So I'm looking forward to that part of it too. Nice. We love the musical musings of Paramore. Mm. I said musical (laughs) effects and was sort of struggling for my words. I should preface (laughs) this by saying I got back from a work trip to Australia the night before last and I woke up this morning at 3.45 and I did not go back to sleep afterwards. So I'm a little bit like infected by Southern Hemisphere time still. And that is going to be haunting me today as I try to like struggle to give people advice and remember where I am. The last two days, all I've been doing is saying things like, where did I put down my AirPods? I just had them in my hand a second ago and struggling to remember words. So that's that's where I'm at right now. Brutal. Totally feel you. I mean, it's great. I, like, I, It was my first big trip uh, in a really long time and it was really fun to get to be there and I, I had a wonderful time. But yeah, I am just mentally and spiritually on the moon. Ugh, nice. I like the moon. It's a nice it, place. It's a nice place, <laughs> which is maybe a good place to feel slightly like detached and floaty because I feel like the questions we've got today are not necessarily all incredibly dire, but they are all pretty thorny. They're pretty complicated. They're pretty fraught. Yeah. And and so I want to make sure that I'm going into this with both a sense of thoughtfulness and maybe a slight sense of whimsy because sometimes with questions like these, the sort of standard answer isn't necessarily the most useful one. So hopefully I can bring the right touch of whimsy. But uh, I do think we should get started with our first question with a sane person reading it. I hope you got a lot of sleep last night. (laughs) I got enough sleep last night. Can confirm for sure. Good, good. Sorry to pry into your personal life. No, no, no. No further questions about your sleep. Pry away, please. Unless you want to give us advice about how to go to sleep well. You know, if you have not tried magnesium glycinate, do that because it will revolutionize your sleep. I do take magnesium, but I recently Mm -hmm. read that I take the wrong kind. Mm -hmm. It has to glycinate. Absorb it correctly. So now I got this stupid jar of useless magnesium that I still feel like (laughs) I I, I don't want to throw it away because I'm like, it's good magnesium. I mean, I'm essentially throwing it away already, but true. Yeah, no, grab some glycinate and you will be in REM sleep for so long. It'll be great. (laughs) I really want that. I plan on being asleep tonight at 9 p.m. I really want that for you. I hope that that happens. (laughs) Although that's kind of a great way to make sure I wake up again at 3.45. I'll rethink this. I'll figure something out. Right. We'll get it figured out. In the meantime, if you would read our first letter. For sure. The subject of this letter is incredible. Change the subject or change your life is the subject. 
if that wasn't clear. Once again, subject line, change the subject or change your life. I mean, I'm glad you like it because I wrote that one. Thank you. That is so good. Oh, my gosh. Sometimes I feel stuck. So I I appreciate the praise. All right, tour for sure. Okay. My oldest, closest friend has fought and won a battle with breast cancer. During the worst of COVID, she isolated to minimize her risk and managed to avoid getting sick. But it exacerbated her inactive lifestyle. She also works from home. She's experienced additional health problems, in her words. From this, she has lots of daily aches and pains along with other issues. We used to have some great wide-ranging conversations and took trips together. Now I feel like calls are focused on her lack of good health, and I struggle to be supportive instead of pointing out where she could make change. For one of her issues, exercise is the only effective treatment. I've offered to go on a weekend retreat together and pay for it, but she's still afraid to leave because of COVID. I love her, but I'm tired of listening to the laundry list of health issues at every conversation. I've always prioritized activity, and it's really benefited me. How can I support her without making her feel judged? And how can I do that without just turning the conversation away from aches and pains? Our last conversation, she noticed my reticence and mistook it for me being in a bad space. And I wanted to just blurt out how I felt, but I don't want to alienate her or hurt her. I miss my friend. We're in our 50s for reference. These next couple of decades really matter toward long-term health and mobility. Literally, if you don't use it, you will lose it. So I had a sort of instinctive response to this letter, which was, this feels a little bit different to me than, I think there's a sort of category of letters that are like, I want to comment on a friend's like health or lifestyle or body that usually for me just goes pretty quickly into the category of, at best, you might have okay intentions. At worst, you're like being unnecessarily judgmental and the best move here is to let it go. And there's probably going to be elements of that coming up in this answer for me, at least like look for opportunities to let stuff go. But it did also feel like there was some real stuff here in between. If I've been friends with someone who's been going through something tough for a long time, is it ever okay to ask to like pause on venting or complaining without hurting them unnecessarily? Which I think is a really worthwhile question. And then the other one is sort of, it's not just like, oh, I want my friend to like be like a bikini model or like eat nothing but wheatgrass and like throw javelins all day. Like, that's genuinely also kind of bound up in if I want to guide my friend in a healthier direction, is there any way to do that that's not just like shaming or browbeating? And I think that's a worthwhile question too. Mm-hmm. Did you have an instinctive reaction when you read this one? I did. And it is it is instinctive. So I don't want it to be like, oh, this is the definitive answer. Or this is what I would come up with if I thought about it a little bit more deeply. Mm-hmm. But instinctively, I thought to, let me know if you've ever heard of this, Danny. There's... I think it's called the rings of grief Mm. um, where there's one person in the middle who it's dealing with whatever the issue causing grief is. And then there's a ring outside of that, the people closest to that person. And then there's a ring outside of that, you know, kind of a second degree, like they know the person, but they're not the closest with the person. And then it goes further, further, further. The rule is with this, you never complain to a person that is, in a closer ring than you are. You always complain to people who are in an, a ring that's more further away uh-huh. than you are. So that's where my instinct tells me for this, your friend is the person dealing with the issue. So I wouldn't complain to that friend. I would complain to my partner, maybe, or someone who is in an outer ring and not that friend, personally. Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's a line between complaining versus asking, 
I'd like to sometime or I'd like to like once draw your attention to this, not to say like you're doing something bad, awful and wrong, just mm-hmm. like we're we're talking about this a lot. And I want to know if there's occasionally ways where I can say, can we spend a few minutes talking about books? Again, not that's like I'm going to force you to talk about cheerful things or pretend to be happy or I never want you to vent. But yeah. just to say, like, I miss sometimes us talking about other things. I realize the circumstances of your life have significantly changed. I'm not asking you to suddenly talk about, like, exciting trips we're going to take next month when that's not reality. But I just wonder, does that feel like a different category to you than complaining? Uh, or does that feel like asking her to change is not on the table? It doesn't feel like a different category than complaining. I think I'm using complaining just as a as a colloquial term, but not necessarily with the deep meaning of, you know, complaining to someone but just maybe like like, asking someone to change mm -hmm, like yeah yeah yeah. bringing up a strife to someone who is dealing with a bigger strife than being bothered by listening to said strife is something that I personally avoid but that's you know that's that's my take on it just off the top of my head yeah I, I think that's probably a really good rule to have generally in life and I think you know this letter writer this is like an old close friend. So presumably there's some history there of like they're able to have deeper conversations than someone you only knew sort of well. But I also want to be really careful about like, I know that the letter begins with my my friend has battled and, and uh, her cancer is now in, in remission. But I don't want to sort of take that as an excuse to say, great, therefore like she should feel perfect and great right. and you should just resume old ways of talking. Because she's a different person now. After going through something like that, of course, friendship dynamics are going to change and things like that are going to change, which can be uncomfortable for both parties. Mm-hmm. But after dealing with something like that, you're just a different human being going forward. So it seems like this friend is kind of longing for who her friend used to be, which is totally fair. Yeah. Likely dealing with grief of their own, dealing with losing you know, someone that they used to spend so much time with and do all these fun things with. And that is a shift that is hard to deal with 100%. I definitely empathize with the letter writer and I empathize with the friend. I think if there's a way that the letter writer can maybe set up specific time to talk about things that they would like to speak about their friend to, that would be great. Like maybe shoot a text message ahead of time and say, hey, oh my God, I just saw this movie. Would love to hop on the phone and chat about it with you because it seems like something you would love. Therefore, the friend goes into it kind of knowing that it won't be about aches and pains and that types of things and necessarily won't be expecting for the letter writer to listen about that. They'll be expecting to talk about, you know, a movie or whatever else the letter writer wants to talk about. I, I think that's a really good angle to take. And so I think that just because I would feel so, I wouldn't feel sure how to guide someone appropriately to suggest to a friend who like recently went into remission. <laughs> And is also dealing, it's not like remission means exactly how she was before the cancer. It's like with new health issues. Um, So I wouldn't feel comfortable saying like, here's how to like politely phrase, I need you to knock it off. And so I think instead just have like initiating a new conversation that also maybe even speaks to, I really miss like the great conversations we used to have about books. And again, that's not like, and you fucked that up by having cancer and getting sick or like, and you're doing something wrong. Just acknowledging like, I miss that. Let's do that sometime soon. Do you feel up for that? And and like maybe frame it as an option. Because if your friend is like, genuinely, that would exhaust me, then I think you should respect that. And then I think, Sequoia, to your earlier point, then go 
like talk about that sadness with a partner or another friend, hopefully in a way that's not like, God, my fucking friend with cancer right. just can't like work up the energy. I don't right. think that the letter writer would do that. I don't think that's don't where they're at. So but either. like, I hope not. In a way that is both taking, like, I'm sure that your friend also sometimes misses those conversations too. Like, I don't think that she's just doing this whimsically. I think she's genuinely in a lot of pain. And I both like, I can appreciate where the letter writer is coming from in terms of there are some things that their friend could potentially be doing that could help some of these issues. And like wanting that for someone else can be understandable. And on the other hand, I also want to encourage the letter writer wherever possible to seek out like patience and sympathy and just to like remind themselves occasionally like, I only know what it feels like based on what my friend has told me. But if I were in like pretty chronic pain on a regular basis, that might really wear down my ability to do good things for myself on a consistent basis, which is, again, not to say like, and therefore everyone should just give up and it's not ever worth trying to take more walks. Just Mm -hmm. like, I think it can be really easy to get impatient with somebody else's pain because it can feel like if we can't fix it, it just drives me nuts. And genuinely, like really loving people who want to be sympathetic can find themselves getting impatient or annoyed with someone who's in a lot of pain because it's like, why won't this get better? Without ever thinking, man, I really want to get annoyed with my friend who who had cancer. So I don't say that to be like, letter writer, you're a really bad person, or that's a really awful, callous response. But I do think that like seeking a renewed, I don't know if you're like a spiritual person or just like a person who likes meditating about certain values, but any way that you can maybe try to regularly get in touch with additional patience and compassion for your friend when you are inclined to feel impatient or to really focus on. But if you took more walks or got more massages, it might be better. Just because I think that'll help the orientation of your heart towards your friend. Certainly. Yeah. Letter writer, I want to reiterate, I also don't think that you're a bad person at all. I think this is such an honest and vulnerable letter to have written in. And I think a lot of folks can relate to this, especially if, if you've ever dealt with someone who is struggling with a health issue. This is very I think these feelings are common. I don't think this is uncommon at all. Um, But I appreciate the vulnerability. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And so I think just a couple of little stray bits in here that I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about. So, you know, the, the thing about offering her to go on a weekend retreat and to pay for it, it's really sweet and really lovely. Um, and, and I would just encourage you, letter writer, to respect her boundaries about COVID risk, which it sounds like on some level you're kind of feeling like, and it's time for her to get over them. And maybe that's too harsh, actually. I don't I don't necessarily feel that coming through. I guess I would just say, like, don't offer to pay for more excursions that would involve, like, greater interpersonal contact with big groups of people or even small groups of people if that's not something that she, like, just, I, I would just trust her judgment on that one based on, like, her continued probably immunocompromised status. And then, so then we kind of come to that last question of, are there ways to ask have you talked to your doctors about exercise as the treatment for this particular condition? Or like, how are you feeling in terms of thinking about becoming more active rather than like, I think you need to become more active. Let me give you advice. But I'm also sort of worried that asking that question would maybe feel loaded. What do you think? Yeah, I think, yeah, I I stray away from giving unsolicited advice, or at least I try to. Honestly, I'm really bad at it. So I totally understand wanting to come out and say this, but Giving unsolicited advice specifically about folks' health um, seems to just be a very sensitive point that I tend to avoid. So that's what I would personally advise. 
Yeah, I think maybe at most you could offer, you know, if you ever want to talk about coming up with like a really easy beginning habit for trying to add more like mobility or like activity to your daily routine, please let me know. I would be so happy to like help you come up with something, but I will let you take the reins on this. Like I won't push it. Um, I'm not going to be like emailing you like a couch to 5k program. I just want you to know that it can feel really daunting and I'm here for you if you want to talk about that. And again, like I don't even necessarily want to suggest that because that might be a situation where the friend feels pushed. It's it's just, it's really hard. It is both really true that um, like light, consistent movement is pretty good for people. And it's also true that if somebody doesn't have the motivation sort of internally, getting told by someone else can have limited effectiveness. But it also makes sense that you care about your friend and especially like in your 50s and beyond, like maintaining muscle mass is really important when it comes to stuff like surviving falls and osteoarthritis and osteoporosis and general well-being. But then on the other hand, it's also like some people are just like not in a place where they're able to prioritize that. And it can be hard and sad and you might want something else for her. But it's also like she's dealing with a lot of things you aren't dealing with, including like a lifetime of being pretty inactive and cancer. And again, that doesn't mean she couldn't. I hope she does decide to like maybe the next week I'll like walk down to the mailbox and back and just like get consistent and do a little stretching or something. But yeah, I guess I just really want to, it would be good for her to do those things. And also if you want them for her more than she does, that's not going to actually help her maintain those habits either. Certainly. And maybe, maybe you can ask her if she wants to go for a walk every now and again. Like if you miss her and I'm sure she misses you as well, maybe the solution is just to call her up hey, are you free for a walk this evening? Maybe like a sunset walk or something of the sort. Just walk around the block, something light like that, which kind of takes care of both issues without seeming pushy or like you're giving health advice without being asked. Yeah. And and I would just, yeah. And I think to just prepare to like have a really light touch with it. And if she backs off of it or doesn't seem interested, then you need to find a way to be okay with that. And again, you can be frustrated privately, but I would just really encourage you to let it go and just say like, that's not where she's at right now. That's not what she's able to prioritize. I might wish it were different, but this shouldn't get in the way of like a longstanding loving friendship and to just really seek out ways to like make your peace with where she is. Um, Yeah, uh, I would love to hear back if you do have any of these conversations with her. And even if just at some point you want to say something like, I just, I'm really sorry that you're in so much pain, which is not the same thing as saying, I'm really sick of you're talking about the pain that you're in. But it, I wonder some of that frustration is like because of some grief, like because it sounds like you're kind of a fixer and you really want to be able to do more to help. And I wonder if framing it as like, I wish there was more I could do to help you. And I wish you weren't in this much pain. And I'm really sorry is still true. It's just withholding some of the stuff that would be kind of tactless to share with her. Certainly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, if you're able to say any of those things, again, I would just say like lead gently here. This is a person who's been through a great deal and and it would be much better to always err on the side of caution with her rather than otherwise. This is not a situation that I think calls for like robust truth telling come what may. 
Um, and so take it easy, take your time, find other ways that you can vent. And it's also okay if occasionally you need to just say like, I love you. I'm so sorry. You're having a really tough day. I've got to go. Like you don't have to, every time she calls to complain, do a full hour, um, which is not to say start dodging her calls, start avoiding her and like drop her like a, a pancake. Just like if sometimes you find yourself getting so frustrated that you're like going quiet, don't wait for her to say what's up. Like just say, I, I've got to go. And I think that's the last of my sort of thoughts on that subject. I just, I really feel both for the letter writer and for her friend. I think in my own life, when I've gone through times where I've been really far from good habits, and again, I don't mean like eating celery all day long and like running Ironman competitions, just like generally like getting out, getting walks, you know, drinking a few cups of tea a day instead of like nine cups of coffee and like eating regular meals rather than just like, spontaneously panicking and buying whatever's closest to me, um, then those times it can feel like good habits are so far away that they might as well be on the moon. Mm -hmm. And then when there's other times when I've like gotten more consistently into like, oh, I'm taking my daily sunset walk. I'm like planning out more of my lunches. I'm eating more fiber. And then I'm just like, I'll just do this forever. I'll always feel this good. And I'll always want to and have the time to prioritize these things. And I don't know, it helps me to remember like consistency is challenging and when I'm in the middle of it it feels great and easy and when I'm not it feels like you want me to do what now mm-hmm. man I hope I sleep tonight <laughs> I hope you do too I really hope I think you I do. will I think I will <laughs> Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. So I didn't come up with a subject line for this next one, and I'm not going to because uh, my brain is mush. I woke up so, so early, and I'm still awake, and I just don't have the ability to come up with an interesting title. So I'm just going to start reading it, and here we go. My partner, 39, non-binary, white, and I, 35, transmasculine, Latinx, have been together for two years. They are very thoughtful, aware, generous, and the most nurturing person I've ever met. They love others so well, and seeing that is part of why I fell in love with them. There's a sentence in here that I included because I want to talk about it, by the way. And I just am like saying that because I'm about to say it out loud and I can feel myself like, oh, shuddering. I'm just going (laughs) to read it. But like, I don't like it, but it it should be here. They are AMAB and cis passing, but deeply queer in their lived values. We are happily non-monogamous. However, I've begun to notice that a large majority of their exes are AFAB people of color and or transmasculine. I get really uncomfortable when they share that they feel someone is attractive because they are almost always transmasculine, AFAB, Asian people. 
It's become something of a tense joke between us. But as I began exploring and owning my racial identity, I'm increasingly unsettled by their taste in lovers. When I bring this up to my partner, they politely refute my claims that this is problematic and claim they simply interact with the people who find them attractive and that not many people find them attractive to begin with, so they take what they can get. However, these lovers are often far younger than them, sometimes over 10 years, although always of legal age. They say I'm the oldest person they've dated in a long time. I definitely know what it's like to have a small dating pool, but the racial component of their attractions and the near-constant age gap makes me uncomfortable. They've slowly become more aware of the optics of their attractions and are transparent with me when someone cute but too young approaches them, and they set boundaries due to the age gap. The racial component here leaves me feeling fetishized. I'm also AFAB. I know, you've mentioned it like nine times. Um, And I'm often told I look Asian, which is a source of alienation I feel from my parent culture. I'm starting to worry my physical characteristics were the only reason my partner initially saw interest in me. But if we are both deeply attracted to each other and absolutely adore one another, should I be making a big deal about this? They're otherwise open to criticism in all things and are willing to do the work to better themselves. Is this just jealousy of other trans masks that my brain is disguising as something else? Or is this really a reason to be upset? How do I move on from this? Please help me to either make sense of what I'm feeling and figure out how to put my concerns to rest or approach a come to Jesus conversation with them. There was also a line that I edited out that was like apologizing for using the expression come to Jesus, which I felt like (laughs) sort of summed up like there's a lot of anxiety here. And some of it, I think I really get where it's coming from. And some of it, I want to be able to like relieve the letter writer of. And so I like added it back in to just sort of like, um, this is just a, this is a person who's really like I don't know how to weigh my discomfort. I feel uncomfortable about a lot of things, up to and including tossing off an idiom like "come to Jesus." Is that okay of me? And um, I, I realize I sort of betrayed my own issue here, which was like for for a, a letter about you know nominally to like trans non-binary people, it was just littered with references to birth assignment. Like Mm. over and over. There Mm -hmm. were even like four or five more that I removed such that Mm. when the letter says like, I'm AFAB is like, you've said that so many times already. And I find that really fascinating, especially when AMAB is framed as like in opposition to queer values. And again, that's not the gist of this letter. That's not the only thing going on here. It's not the only thing I want to focus on. I was just really struck by that. And I, I guess I just want to start with letter writer. I would really encourage you to move away from even like unconsciously putting AMAB and queer values in opposition to one another. That's that's really bad. I wouldn't do that. I I, I encourage you not to do that anymore. Yeah, I, I guess I would just start with that one. That is, I think, an appropriate thing to be anxious about. I think that's a good thing to stop doing. Mm-hmm. But that aside... Where do you want to start in this letter? I've, I've done my spiel. What feels the most pressing issue to you? You know, what line struck me is the question at the end. Is this just jealousy of other trans masks that my brain is disguising as something else? That question kind of stopped me in my tracks because that assertion is not present anywhere in the letter Yeah, to me. Which makes me wonder, is there context that we are missing around other times that the letter writer has experienced jealousy with their partner or something? Is there something deeper here? Because that question felt a little out of place to me because my gut answer to that question is, why would it be that? Yeah, it had seemed like 
there there were moments where the the letter writer was like the the points of continuity often involve trans masculinity but also just as often involve like just dating people of Asian descent. So it seemed like the racial component was the biggest issue for the letter writer, especially since they bring up, now that I'm like reconnecting more with my own heritage, I'm noticing this more and more. And then to bring up, and maybe I'm just jealous of trans masks, is like, I don't think so. I mean, maybe, sure, but it just didn't seem like that was actually what was coming up. Right. And and I also, I think, yeah, the letter just had a lot of points of contention including the racial component and also the age component. And for me personally, the age component is what seemed most concerning to me, but seemed the least concerning to the letter writer as it was only referenced uh, maybe like once or maybe twice. I'm yeah. Clear. Yeah. I mean, the the letter writer says they sometimes date people more than 10 years younger than them, which would involve people in their late 20s. And so I'm just, I'm not anxious about that. That doesn't, Okay. You know, someone in their late 20s dating someone in their early 30s. Again, even as a pattern, like, I don't feel like, whoa, 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 that's really close to like somebody with no life experience or no ability to like live on their own. Like, I just, to me, that's like, yeah, that's fine. That's great. Okay. Go nuts. Yeah. I think I'm looking at like power dynamic things here. Um, the partner being white and older and then dealing with folks who are younger and People of color uh, presents a distinct power dynamic in those prior relationships, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. that does present a little bit of concern for me personally. So I totally get why the letter writer might be like, huh, this is weird, because I think I, too, would be like, huh, this is weird. Yeah, and I think maybe the relevant question then for the letter writer in this is, Do you want your partner to agree that this is weird? And if it's weird, what needs to happen? Like, is it weird enough to be bad? Is it just weird enough that they should feel kind of guilty about it, but shouldn't change anything else? Is it weird and bad enough that they should commit to not doing it? And if so, what would that look like? What For your relationship. Yeah, like, what would that mean? Would it mean, like, I want you to never date anyone less than five years younger. Again, like, I don't say any of that to make it sound, like, silly. I just, I would be genuinely curious. Or do you want kind of to give yourself permission to say, this doesn't necessarily make my ex a monster, but I don't like it. It doesn't feel good to me, and it changes the way that I see our relationship. And even though other things about our relationship have been really good, this is actually enough that I want to say, I don't think we're compatible here. Because that, I think, is a really important question. And it feels a little bit like the letter writer's not sure Am I allowed to just not like this? Am I allowed to find it off-putting? And if so, can I kind of own that? And I, I guess I just really want to encourage the letter writer to consider, like, what would feel like a good outcome to you? And if it's only persuading my partner to feel differently about their exes and and maybe not want to date similar people in the future, if your ex doesn't want to do that, does, does that change what you want from this relationship? Mm-hmm. And for it to just really be okay for you to make up your own mind. Right. I also feel like there's little elements of does my partner really love me for me from the letter writer Mm -hmm. or does my partner love me because I present what other folks think I present Asian. Mm -hmm. And I understand that also being a point of contention. That seems like something that would be important to interrogate for me personally as well. 
So I get that. And I don't really see a problem with explicitly putting a point on that question and clearly asking your partner that. No, I've noticed that all of your past partners are Asian. I've been told that I appear Asian, although I am not. Is that, would we be together Would I if I did not appear Asian or something of that sort? Yeah, and I, I think that's a really interesting point to bring up too because it feels like, I think it really makes sense to me that the letter writer was uncomfortable with the last conversation they had about this. Because my, my sense when the letter writer's partner was like, oh, this isn't on purpose. This is just because not that many people like me and I take what I can get. That felt disingenuous to me. I agree. And again, I'm not saying this because I think it's like maximally bad, evil, wrong. But like there's a continuum between like having a very particular type and being a chaser and being the kind of chaser who like objectifies and fetishizes people. And again, I don't want to say like for everyone listening, there's one cutoff line where everyone has to say like, I won't date you anymore. But just like, again, for yourself, like, is does this fall into the category of like, I'd feel better about it if my partner just actually admitted they kind of have a type and could own it without then also saying like, that's the only kind of person I'm into and that's the only thing I care about. Or at least would it feel like, well, I, I don't want that in a partner, but I'd appreciate their honesty and we could like part ways at that point. I guess just kind of investigate, like, what would be an answer that would feel both honest to you? And then what would be an answer that would feel satisfying to you? And if the answer, if, like, you would need an answer that was, like, race and ethnicity are not a factor in who I date, I'm open to all kinds of people, and your partner can't give you that, then I really think that's an okay reason to say, this is the end of the line for me, especially since you're, like, newly investing in your sort of, like, own identity and heritage, like, that's a totally legitimate thing to prioritize. Yeah. And as you dig deeper in, in investigating your identity and heritage, you might find that you're no longer compatible with a lot of folks in your life who you, who you, weren't, who you once were compatible with, which is also fine. Dynamics change as people change and we change as people all the time. Yeah. And just, you know, I think that like, it's always a lot easier to deal with somebody who's just like, able to be honest with themselves and with you about their desires versus just, and again, like that line of just like, whoa, 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 this is just random luck of the draw, nothing to do with me. This is just the people who happen to like me all happen to be pretty similar backgrounds. And it's just like, that's the kind of like bullshit that like a, a five-year-old can suss out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's not true. It's just not. What a weird thing. Yeah, that, like, that was weird. My, my, instinct would be maybe that the the letter writer's partner was like worried that the, if they said, yes, I'm actually pretty into this and my partners, that that would be the wrong answer to give. And that would make them bad and wrong and in the wrong. And they would have to admit this is bad and problematic mm. as opposed to, I don't know, like, oh, I, I like be prepared for someone else to strenuously disagree with you and, and at least be able to say like, I'm not going to change my answer based on what I think you want to hear hold on to your own values for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're going to do it, don't pretend that you're not doing it, I think is sort of the thing that I really disliked about the partner in this. And again, yeah, maybe they're like more fetishist than you had kind of realized and you kind of think back and you're like, oh, there's actually some stuff that pops up that I find really unsettling. Or maybe you're like, actually, it's just the habit that kind of freaks me out. Normally they're a pretty cool partner, but again, wherever they fall on that continuum, you get to have your own feelings about it. Yeah. And so ideally, your partner could become more honest with you about it. But 
if they don't and that changes the way you feel about them, I think you're right to say like that conversation was kind of bullshit. Yeah, I agree. That felt pretty bullshit to me as well. Again, it just sounds like this is bringing up a lot of issues and questions for you. And it's it's both like really important that you feel like your partner is able to be honest with you and that you're in a relationship where you feel valued for who you are and not just like in a in a long line of, I don't want to say clones because obviously you're all super different people, but someone you worry your ex thinks of that. And then also to like not get too hung up in, I need to make sure, especially as a trans person, that my partner thinks about me and dates people in the future in ways that I feel good about. Like there's a line to be drawn somewhere in the middle of all of this, but you have a lot of room to play, letter writer. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So then what do you think about the questions of either, how do I move on from this? And how do I either put my concerns to rest or have a come to Jesus conversation? What do you think is the best option um, or the first set of priorities the letter writer ought to have? How do I move on from this definitely also sticks out to me because, I don't know, something tells me that the letter writer is kind of looking for an exit, looking at the exit, Mm -hmm. making an exit plan because, again, this doesn't really seem like something to move on from. I don't know. It's been, if you've been with this person for two years and at this point you're deeply in love and all the other facts remaining true, I would assume the love would kind of overshadow the rest of it and it would just be like, oh yeah, that is unfortunate, but I've gotten to know this person on a soul level now. And so we're just past that point. But if if the love is not sustaining and this is causing concern because maybe you've changed as a person or you've just matured, then I think how do you move on from this? You you kind of know that just by asking the question, you know that maybe it is time to move on from it, if that is even a question. Yeah, and especially because this is still ongoing, right? This isn't just exes. They're non-monogamous, and so they're also... Mm, I did forget about that. You know, because it it didn't sound like there was anyone new, like, on the horizon, but it seems like not infrequently there's either a potential date or a new date that the partner goes out with that, like, you know, and there's, like, some capitulation of, like, okay, okay, now if somebody, like, under a certain age approaches me, I'm going to shut it down, but I'm still not able to have a conversation with you where we're both being fully honest about like, is this a preference? Is this a fetish? Is this something I'm proud of? Is this something you're ashamed of? We can't name it. And if you can't name it, it makes sense that it feels like this really sort of nameless sense of dread of like, what's real in my relationship? Because there's something kind of big that we're just not able to talk about in the same way. And um, yeah, I, I don't like have a great like definitely break up or definitely stay together um, I feel less concerned about dating people in their like mid and late twenties than the like racial element, and I want to encourage the letter writer generally to like look elsewhere for healing around fears about like is birth assignment destiny or like is being AMAB the opposite of queer, which is again like absolutely not. But then into very real questions of like, does my boyfriend like kind of fetishize people? Does my boyfriend like? like something about the way that I look that I feel self-conscious about in a way that doesn't work for me. Um, is my partner being kind of racist? Like, that's the other question. And I think it's absolutely worth asking. And again, it's not, you don't have to shy away from that or pretend that you're not allowed to ask that question. Yeah. Yes. If you're just coming to terms or starting to come to terms with racial identity stuff, it it does feel a little, what is the word? 
I don't know. It does feel a little scary mm-hmm. and you're not sure of what is and is not correct and what you can and cannot say and what is okay to feel. But your feelings are your feelings. And if you have cause con- for concern, I would go ahead and interrogate that. Yeah. And certainly at the very least, if your partner is going to be a white person who dates a lot of people of color, if they're not able to have any conversation about like race and racism or like even acknowledge the possibility that they might sometimes be racist, like they're going to have a tough time. That's really the bottom line of it all, Danny. You hit that one on the head. That's that's it. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's like it, 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 if your partner is not, it wants to like mostly date non-white people, but also never really talk about like whiteness or like potential racism. That's not a great combination. Those are not two tastes that go great together. Right. Very much that. Which is such a great moment for a segue because two tastes that do go great together are your <laughs> podcast and Paramore. And... <laughs> I'm really, really what proud a good that I got there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, talk to me about your wonderful show and like where the idea came from and what happens on your show. And is it just like you play Paramore songs and then you're like two thumbs up from me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> right. I wouldn't be mad at that now. If someone wants to give me a radio show where I do that, I'm happy to do it. But my show, Black People Love Paramore, every episode I talk about one topic or idea that large groups of Black people like that mainstream media doesn't necessarily associate with Black people. Of course, the first episode being about Paramore, but subsequent episodes being about topics like anime, Tony Hawk, Ariana Grande, mm-hmm. um, astrology, Degrassi, The Hills, pop culture stuff that Black people know that we like, but we don't often see ourselves represented as having interest in mainstream media. So I figured, why would I wait for mainstream media to see us when I can see us and I can reflect us back to us? So that is what I did. That is fantastic. Do you uh, remember what the sort of like breakdown was in that first episode? Like some top songs, top albums? Ooh, Yes. So my favorite Paramore album is Brand New Eyes. So I generally tend to talk about that one a lot. I like, I mean, I like most of the songs from that album in particular, but Turn It Off is really good. And there's one more, whose name is eluding me right now. But yeah, check out that album if you have not. I I will. I feel like there was like a big break between like 2009 and Huge. like 2017 because then the next one was After Laughter, right? Yeah. And I really yeah, yeah, enjoyed yeah. After Laughter. Like it's yeah. it's very like, you know, escalator music, but in a really fun mm-hmm. way. That is such a good way to put it. Yeah, it's not elevator, like, but escalator. Escalator, not elevator, escalator, okay? Yeah, it's it's more chill than previous albums, which was definitely but still maintains that Paramore sound, you know. Haley has such a distinct voice that it's hard to miss. And it's very resonant. It gives me chills often. Mm-hmm. So that was still there. That's the main thing that you want to get when you're listening to music. So I appreciate that. But generally, the breakdown of my show goes, we talk about one unpopular opinion at the top of the show in a segment called In My Defense. One of my more controversial ones is that cheese is disgusting. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about stuff like that. And then we'll move into Song of the Week, where I'll have a guest just bring any song that they're into that week it usually is like um, early 2000s, maybe late 90s song often. And then we'll move into the main topic of the episode, which can be Tony Hawk, Paramore, Ariana Grande, you know, whatever the episode is about that time. And we'll kind of just go through it, talk about our likes, thoughts, dislikes, feelings, opinions, all of that stuff. That sounds fantastic. Do you have any especially memorable, unpopular opinions that you want to share? Um, you can you can do somebody else's so that you're not like putting yourself on the line, obviously. Trying to 
think of one that shook me recently. I have one. There, so most of mine are food related because I guess I have a strange palate, allegedly, according to people. I don't agree, but folks agree. I think that you are supposed to put milk before cereal. Personally, it makes the most sense. Just scientifically. Talk to me about how it makes the most sense because I, I want to I want to hear you out and give you a fair shake. Okay, thank you. I really appreciate you giving me a fair shake here, okay? Because yeah. most people don't want to hear me out on this. All right. So, okay. If you want to maintain maximum crunchiness, crispiness in your cereal, it means that much of it has to remain dry. Okay. And what's the best way to ensure that much, much of it remains dry is to not pour liquid directly on top of it. To keep the liquid on the bottom of the cereal and not mix it or anything of the sort, just kind of dip your spoon in there and get your get your crunchy cereal. That's another thing idea. that you can do. Yeah, another thing you can do to maintain that crunchiness is to keep your cereal refrigerated with your milk so that it's more dense because, oh. you know, when things are colder or frozen, when water becomes frozen, it's, you know, hard. Whoa. Same thing. If you keep your cereal in the refrigerator, it'll be a little bit harder. It'll stay colder longer. It'll what? stay crunchier longer. At the end of the day, I don't like soggy bread. And that's what cereal yeah. becomes if it's too wet. So that's it. Okay, that's that's quite good. So then I guess my other question was, is it then you pour in the full amount of cereal you plan to eat and then it just like you go through it and some of it's a little too dry at the beginning and then it all evens out in the end? Or is it like you pour on a thin layer of cereal, work your way through it and then top yourself up and you do so again and again until the milk is gone? Oh, that is a good question. I just pour in the full amount of cereal that I plan to eat. I have been doing this so long. I know pretty much the exact amount of cereal to milk ratio, but it might take a little bit of tinkering if you are not used to it. I I mean, I do like the idea. I love tinkering foods. I have a a recipe that I usually save for when I'm in my bad habits phase of life called infinite pudding um, that basically involves getting a can of Ready Whip and a really heavy thing of like cozy shack chocolate pudding and then giving it a big crown of whipped cream and then eating it such that the ratio of whipped cream to pudding in each spoonful is like seven to one, which sounds like it would be too much. But because the pudding is so dense and the whipped cream Mm -hmm. is so light, it's actually like Mm -hmm. the perfect amount of salt and sugar. And then you repeat with a crown, scraping away each layer of pudding until you no longer have any room inside of your torso for feelings. You only have pudding. Oh, (laughs) You have to save it for like big occasions, like really tough emotional episodes. But it's... That is so good. I love hearing about other people's food rituals. That's a really good one. How specific? It's, you know... How did you... How did you come up with that? Listen, I have been problematically emotionally eating my whole life. And uh, sometimes, you know, it causes problems. And sometimes it leads you to great heights of genius, like Mm -hmm. with uh, infinite pudding, which I think I also developed during like the first wave of e-cigarettes. This was before I quit nicotine. Mm -hmm. So I I should say like I, since 15, I was trying to quit nicotine, but I like successfully quit uh, about almost two years ago now, which is oh remarkable. God, congratulations was, on that. Thank you. I was constantly quitting. I was quitting all the time, which just made me like more frantic. And so when they still had those awful e-cigarettes that looked like a regular cigarette mm-hmm. and then like glowed blue at the tip and they didn't have any great flavors. This is the shame. It's like I quit cigarettes and vaping at like the height of like brilliant vaping technology Ugh. where you're just like blowing these beautiful clouds of steam Ugh. that smell like future strawberries they're so yeah the work they've done is incredible and i quit like just at the height of this development but so at this time i was like writing all day and then nonstop chain vaping on this like horrible shitty like early 
vape that I had to like plug in all the time because oh. the problem with vaping is you never finish. There's never a cigarette to stub out. So you just, yeah. if you're me, you smoke all day and then you eat infinite pudding and then oh, you wow. look up and suddenly it's the next year. Oh, wow. Wait, that's a really good point. I never thought about that. There's no end of the vape to stub out. So you just do it all the time, which is why people are so addicted to vaping now. I mean, this, wow. this is what everyone I knew who had like allegedly switched from cigarettes to vaping was like, it's good. It'll help me cut down. And maybe someone somewhere actually did, but everyone I knew was just like, I never have to stop smoking now because this never wears out. And like never goes off. You just like keep it by your bedside, take a puff at 3 a.m. No, I was, and like I was telling Grace I was trying to quit and she was like, you should quit. And I would like wake her up in the middle of the night. She'd be like, did you just vape? And I was like, what? (laughs) No. And she was like, she was like, why do you feel that you have to lie to me? I'm not here to be like your boss. And I was like, well, now I don't feel great. She's I'm like, shame. don't it's put shame. that on me. Yeah, right. It's shame. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's really good to have quit. That was miserable. Yeah, huge congratulations. I know it's really hard to quit smoking. I've never done it, but both my parents smoked um, and my mom quit. She started when she was 11 and God, she quit when she was her. maybe That's amazing. 40 or something. And yeah, like I'm very proud of her. She's 60 now. So yeah, very proud of her. I'm very proud of you too. Yeah. It took like a million times. Just keep trying to quit. You will eventually get there. Yeah. And I will never do it again. Okay. Sequoia, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are a delight, which I'm sure that you know, but it's true. Thank you, Danny. I appreciate it. You are a delight. And I had a fantastic time. These are such good talking points to talk through. Sometimes it's easier for me to understand things when I talk them out out loud. Yes. I appreciate it. 100%. Well, I loved and appreciated your advice. And if you ever need someone to come and talk about dairy products on your show, um, (laughs) you know, I'm only ever a phone call away. Okay, I'm, I'm happy that you'll talk about dairy products because I hate dairy, so yeah. I'm right with you. I support everything you say, even though I normally like dairy, but now I'm like, fuck dairy. I'm on Sequoia's yeah, team. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to go try to take a nap and have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. The last thing you want to feel like if you're venting to your partner about your depression or bereavement, you don't want to feel like they're like your therapist keeping tally of the minutes that you're speaking about it. And you're going to be charged at the end in the form of, okay, well, now you have to go do the dishes. I would I would truly like I would have so much more of an easy time with a boyfriend who was just like, I fucking hate chores. Is there any like other way that like I can do something else that kind of like balances things out? the whole thing because you're so right. The reason that I have never come to my partner and be like, 
But I do so much more of the emotional labor in our relationship. Mind you, it's never about depression or bereavement or anything. Right, right, right. It's literally just about relationship. But I'm like, I've never come to say that because I recognize within myself that I am simply trying to get out of doing chores that I hate because I'm messy. Right. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.